Hello and welcome to our first year of Mattress and Stories podcast. I'm your host, Molly Vassabertolucci. I'm a licensed therapist and a maternal mental health specialist. I'm a mother of two on a parenthood learning journey, just like you. On this podcast, I talk with moms about their first year of motherhood and all of the joys, challenges, and surprises that come along with it. We share a lot of information and resources here, but this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a mental health professional. I'm really excited to share this conversation with you. Thanks for being here with me. Today's guest is Liana, a licensed marriage and family therapist and mother of two. She shares with us about some of the challenges of parenting medically complex children, finding her way through postpartum depression and anxiety, and redefining self-care in motherhood. Hi, Liana. Thanks for being here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your family. Yeah, hi. Um, So I'm Liana Huseman. I am an LMFT. I've been practicing for about eight years. I have a spouse um, and two children. My daughter is four and my son will be two next month. And yeah, I'm mainly, I've been a stay-at-home mom um, since my son was born. Uh, Not by choice. It was due to complications, postpartum complications with myself that resulted in an 11-day hospital stay, many procedures, um, permanently infertile now, which is okay, by the way. I'm totally okay with that. Um, And then getting back into the workforce, I started my practice in January. I'm, it's moving. (laughs) Uh, The new thing with me is juggling two kids and not just getting back to work, but working for myself, which is something I never thought I would ever do, nor did I have an interest in. My my husband's the entrepreneur. I was always fine working for somebody else, right? Clocking in, clocking out, know what I'm getting paid, getting benefits, and coming home and being done. But uh, my kids changed all of that. And so they kind of pushed me on this journey, which has been really exciting. I've learned a lot. But if not for them, I probably would still be working like at a group private practice or something along those lines. But yeah, that's a little bit about us. And we're home all the time. (laughs) We rarely leave. (laughs) My first daughter, I could do everything with her. I could travel the world. I could do, I could take her anywhere. My son, different story. So we we do a lot of staying home and just being outside, walking to parks. You know, we're on his schedule. We uh, are a guest in his reality and that's where we're at. Yeah, it sounds like motherhood really changed the shape of your life and different experiences with both of your kids. What three words would you use to describe your first year of motherhood? So I would say it's the same for both of them. And it's an unpopular answer, but I would say heartbreak was number one. And um, defeated. I felt very defeated um, from From in the hospital to when we left, getting home. I mean, defeat was all over for us. We had a very unique um, experience for both of our children. And then I would say blessed because this has literally been the most amazing experience. I don't even know who I was before my kids. I don't even know what we were doing. I I often sit back and go, "What, what did I do? Like, what? 
what did we talk about? Like, we, we just hung out on the couch. Like, what did we do? So yeah, we had time. I don't even know anymore, but I absolutely love being a mom. And it's interesting because I never, ever wanted to be a mother. I always mm-hmm. knew that it wasn't for me, or so I thought. I never received the maternal instincts to have a child. It was a decision that I did make one day. And um, well, my husband and I made it. He's always wanted children. So I think he was always kind of talking me into it. <laughs> Took about 15 years. But yes, so very blessed that one, I was able to conceive and, you know, birth children and have them. And it's an experience. Yeah, it is a wild experience, but very blessed. What was the model in your head of motherhood? What did you think motherhood would be like? So in my head, I come from a very large Mexican family and we're Mexican-American. I was raised with raising younger cousins, and I had a few cousins that lived with us for most of their lives. So it was actually a very natural feeling. Um, I didn't have many expectations aside from, I'm going to do it. This is going to be great. And I never once expected to have not one, but two uh, medically complex children. So that was the big curveball in our lives. But as far as motherhood goes, it's exactly what I expected. I knew it would be challenging. I knew it would be fun. I knew it would be something that I I would know how to do. And I still feel that way to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Challenging, fun, and something you you would know how to do. Yeah. I was never afraid of that. Yeah. Even with these curveballs that were thrown to you, you felt like you knew what to do. Tell me more about tell me more about your kids, mm-hmm. the surprises, the curveballs, and more about how you've how you've managed that in your family. Yeah. So um, both my pregnancies were quote unquote normal. Everything uh, checked out fine. Um, I absolutely did not like being pregnant from day one till I delivered. So that was my experience. It just wasn't a great feeling for me. And oftentimes when I hear women saying it's beautiful, I'm like, you're lying. There's no, <laughs> there's no way you're telling, I don't know if I could be your friend. Like this is not okay. But Um, And, you know, labor and delivery are tough, too. Both of them are very tough, but we got through it. Now, with my daughter, 24 hours after she was born, she was given a diagnosis. um, And I noticed it was a physical change, and it had to do with her eyes. Her eyes, sorry. And um, I knew something was wrong. The doctor said, oh, she's swollen. You know, she I pushed for three hours with no no alleviation, no progression. So they're like, oh, her face must have just been smashed up against you, all the above. So I'm like, okay. No, about 24 hours later, I knew something was wrong. And yes, uh, a a pediatric ophthalmologist came into the room and gave her her diagnosis. And in that moment, I feel like everything was taken from me. There was no joy coming from me. It was a lot of tears of scared, frightened. We didn't even, we had never heard of what was going on with her. And we didn't know anybody with children who had extra challenges in a different way. And so, yeah, I left the hospital very heartbroken. And I'm purposely not going into detail because I still have a hard time talking about it. And I I also want to make sure that I'm giving my kids justice as far as not giving them identifiers before they can truly identify themselves. So my husband and I are still working on that. We're working on how to still talk about this with others. But Um, it was more of a 
physical thing. So that it wasn't like there was something internal and we knew it, we could see it and it was really hard and devastating. And in that first year, it was very isolating for both my husband and I. It did bring us closer, which was great, but isolating. I, I didn't attend mommy groups. I didn't go out with friends. I didn't know how people were going to react to her. Uh, my husband and I used to hide her in her stroller. Until this day, we'll, we'll, we'll shed a tear of the guilt that we felt because we didn't, we're trying to purposely hide her. She's a beautiful, perfect little being. We just didn't know how to deal with it. And when I started to show her to the world, like go to the groceries. I didn't even have the courage to go to Target. You know, I didn't, I would stay home a lot. And when you're hurt, no one can say the right things. No one, even the, the people that you love the most, they're very dismissive and they're just trying to help, but it was very unhelpful. So I stopped talking about it and I kept it to my husband, myself, my mom, and maybe like two really good friends that showed me that they could be there for me. And, um, I would even get strangers coming up to me and they're, you know, obviously trying to say, how cute is your dog? And they just stop speaking and go, what's wrong with her? And I would just freeze. I would start crying. I would leave the store and I would get home and just hold her. And for hours, I would hold her for hours because I was just trying to protect her. Right. And also trying to protect myself and my feelings. And, I didn't even see a therapist. Hi, the therapist didn't enlist in a therapist until she was 11 months old. That's how much I just couldn't, I couldn't address it. And the, we had so many doctor's appointments. Her treatments were very painful for her. It was really hard to do this. And my therapist was a great help, but she diagnosed me with um, PTSD. When someone comes to you and says, God only gives people what they can handle, it's one of the worst things you can ever say because I couldn't handle it. So because I couldn't handle it, then I thought that I must really be a failure because if God chose me and I can't handle it, what does that say about me? Right? So, so much I felt was like lost, but the PTSD kicked in because I would stare and stare and stare just hoping that I knew it wasn't rational, but that she would wake up and maybe her eye would be perfect. Right? I was looking for this un, this unattainable perfectionism when she was perfect all along, but I couldn't see it. It was my pain, my hurt, and all of that. Um, but around the one-year mark, things started to shift for me. And I'd cried a lot in session. That's all I, I needed to cry a lot because I wasn't crying at home. And I didn't even know it. I was trying to be strong for her. And I kept telling myself, she's going through this, not me, which is so inaccurate. We're all going through it, you know? Um, fast forward. Oh, we were told also genetically that it was a fluke but it wasn't genetic. So she's okay. 2.5 years later, we have our son. And first thing I asked was, does he have, you know, is everything okay with his eyes? And they were like, it looks, appears so everything looks good. I was happy and let's move forward. And about an, three hours into him being born, they did the eye check. The And I never knew this, but they look for the red bounce back from in the eyes and they're looking for, <clears throat> excuse me, the blood flow from the retina. So like if you take a photo and you see that redness, that's what they're looking for. He didn't have it in either one of his eyes. So um, he has a different diagnosis. And in that moment, I thought, oh my gosh, we did this to them. I did this to them. I held on to that like it was a fluke. I didn't do this. And that's what like pushed me through. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> this mantra I had was gone because I'm like, this has to be genetic. 
we did this, I did this. And then that started a slippery slope of immediate postpartum depression, anxiety, and a bit of OCD. On top of that, I had what I mentioned, um, this really hard postpartum recovery that was very scary. And thankfully, I'm I'm fine. I'm good. I came home, but I couldn't, I couldn't cope. Um, Could not cope. I could barely take care of my son. I lost my milk supply, which I still cry to till till this day. It was so important to me. And a lot of loss, a lot of grief and loss. And this experience actually pulled my husband and I apart where with my daughter pushed us together. And um, yeah, then all the doctor's appointments, surgeries, we're still in it. Um, Both of my kids, I feel, are thriving. And I think it's because we were very relentless with their care. But nonetheless, it's been the most difficult experience. So with both of our first years with our kids was a lot of sadness, a lot of grief, loss. We're not the woe is me type of people, but at some point, we did get there. Like, why us? Why our children? What is happening here? And so... Yeah, there was just many days of disconnect, a lot of disconnect. I, My husband told me that I turned into the Terminator, which was not a compliment. It was, you don't, you don't, you don't have feelings. You don't say much. <clears throat> um, you don't say much. You just do. And that's how I was coping. I was just doing. Even though I had a therapist this time, I was working through it. It was definitely overwhelming. And I did remember that quote like, oh, gosh, I got tested again and I can't handle it. Again, all the while I was handling it, but I didn't feel like it. And I felt like a very big failure. Yeah, it was a lot. Yeah, it sounds like an extremely challenging several years yeah. uh, for, for all of you. All of us. Um, and for, it sounds like a lot of self-blame, sadness, isolation, mm-hmm. and grief. You use the word grief, and that's what I'm really hearing. Yes. How were you able to reconnect with your husband, kind of repair Is there a moment or a period of time that stands out to you looking back where it felt like, oh, we've turned a corner as a family? Yes. And I can say that very confidently because it just happened about two months ago. So my son will be two next month. And it had to do with myself and being mindful. I I learned that mindfulness goes a long way when you're in your grief and loss because you're never in the present, right? You're you're thinking about the past. You are going over and over and over again, like how could I have done things differently? Or let's worrying about the future. What does their life look like? What does our life look like? And so when I started utilizing mindfulness, I would go on my walks. And my walks, I feel like saved, really saved my life. Movement, outside, nature, vitamin D. And at one point, I just started crying out loud, saying things I needed to say, and that's when I felt like the clouds started to part. Like I needed to be mindful. Of what did I feel? What did I need? What did I want? And I wasn't doing that because as a mom, we take, we're really good at taking the blame. We're really good at feeling guilty and always thinking about like, what can I do? What can I not do? And so I just started to become more present as like, what do I feel? And do I feel it in my body? And if I feel it in my body, can I talk about it? So I started doing that with myself, and then I slowly started texting my husband, and I would say, I don't want a response. I don't need one. I just need to get this out, and you're the person. You're my person, and I need to say it to someone. Then he would come home and say, do you want to talk about it, or is that what you needed? And I would answer appropriately, and we'd move forward. And then 
in the evening, since I told you we're pretty much feel like prisoners at times to our home, we started going into the garage and we have the couch in there and it's kind of become this safe haven for us. Our kids love being in there. And we started to just talk to each other. And when I say talk, I mean, we're getting very gritty about how we felt like our honesty and was just coming back together and speaking truth and saying, I didn't feel like you were there for me when, well, I didn't feel like you were there for me when you did this, or I felt like you were taking it out on me. And so it brought a lot of awareness to like how we were actually moving through this time. So everything he had to say to me, I'm like, who are you talking about? That's not me. I didn't do that. And he's like, what? I'm just telling you, you are. And it's how you made me feel. And I had no idea because I was so lost in my grief and my sadness. And yes, he's my safe person. So of course I'm going to take it out on him. And it's so crappy, but we do that, right? Like we do that. And I am so blessed to have him as my partner. And in that way where, no, he didn't let and leave and he didn't get upset at me. He was very calm with me and trying to figure it out and patient. All the while, I was thinking, this happened to me, not you. That's so not true. But that's how I felt. Like, I'm the one that landed in the hospital. I'm the one that couldn't take care of my baby. I'm like, it was just about me. And as as most, well, actually, most people don't know, like, when you're really in the grief and loss part in the de- your depression, it really is about you. It's hard to see anybody else. And again, being a therapist, you would think that I'd have the tools. I didn't. Once it's you, you have to really go with what you feel and what you know and how you're experiencing it because everyone's grief and loss is different. It's, you know, it's not linear. And even for myself, um, I felt like I was starting to get better about nine months postpartum and then the baby's birthday happened, his first birthday, and I hit right back into the most severe part of the depression. Then I started utilizing mindfulness And that was back last year, about November, and everything started to look up. I started to build my business. Also, I had something for myself, right? I was building my business. I was away from all the baby stuff, and I gave myself some time to move back. My husband and I are being way more honest, way more open. We were tiptoeing, I think, around each other for a long time. So it's just getting back to saying, you know, we're here right now. It's you and me. How do we do this? How do we move forward? If this were me 10 years ago, we'd probably be divorced by now because we didn't even have the tools back then. We've grown together and I'm so grateful that we've gotten to this place. But yeah, I mean, there was just like no secret to it. Just being honest and talking to each other with no one else around, him and I, not calling friends, like just get, let's get into it. And then being in a very vulnerable place together, sitting next to each other and just Whatever came out, we held those feelings and accepted, or maybe not accepted, but at least respected each other in that sense. Very hard. (laughs) Very hard. Thank you for sharing that. I think it's so easy to forget when we're going through something really challenging, traumatic, whether that's birth trauma, Mm -hmm. the early years of parenting, a NICU stay, or medical Mm -hmm. issues, that our partner is having an experience as well. It's so easy to forget that. So easy. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. What makes you feel proud about your first year as a mother? That I didn't give up because there were so many days that I wanted to. And I think that's just motherhood in general. Most of us have those days that I just don't want to. And you don't think you can until you do it. 
and you're at the end of your night getting into bed and you're like, I did it. I survived. And then on top of that, add the layer of all the medical challenges where I didn't falter for my kids. I wanted to so many times. I mean, there's days where I'll, I won't even call to make the appointment because we, we do a few a month, no matter what. And this has been our life for f- over four years now. It can feel exhausting and you never know what they're going to say when you go in. Is there progression? Is there not? So I get very anxious even making appointments for them, but inevitably I do it. It gets done. And I've had to realize that sometimes it can be on your own pace, you know, taking away the outside noise, like it should be done this way at this time. And I've had to let that go and go, no, I need to do it the way I need to do it, or I'm not going to survive, or I'm not going to be okay, or I'm going to ruin my marriage because I'm refusing to accept my abilities and the last part is I finally learned how to um, ask for help with my son. With my daughter, I never asked. I never wanted anyone's help. I don't really know what that was about so much. I have some theories, but haven't really dived into that yet. But with my son, I finally learned how to say, I can't do this. I need help. I need alleviation. Even from my husband, I try to do it all because he's had to become the sole provider for us. So there's this other guilt, like, because of how I responded or didn't respond well to my pregnant or to my postpartum experience, more of the stress landed on him. Um, and he's an entrepreneur, so it's, you know, he owns his business. And so like that is its own beast. And I had to even say, Hey, I know you're so tired, but when you come home, I need an hour. Like, just give me a break. Let me recharge. I need to fill up my cup. And usually if I go on a walk, I just go on a walk and I found that that works for me. Body movement works for me. And I don't mean working out. Like let's separate the two. It's body movement. I get out there. Um, I do walking meditations, right? I just start seeing things like look at that grass, look at the flowers, look at, oh, that's nice. That's a nice landscape. You know, and you kind of get back in the moment. I recharge, I come back and I'm like, thank you. Go do what you need to do. And that was really hard for me. I felt like a horrible wife to know that. Again, I feel like a lot of this is my fault. When I reality, I know it's not, but I do feel like it's a lot of me. And I felt guilty for even asking him to help me. And I do have an amazing support system. So I have learned to do that. I think that can come up for a lot of women who stay home with their kids after mm-hmm. they're born. Mm-hmm. This idea of like um, some guilt around needing that alone time. Mm-hmm. What was that decision like for you about going back to work? Can you walk me through what that was like for you emotionally and how you decided that together? Yeah. So I've quit being a therapist twice in my career. Um, I think you know what I what I mean by that. It's, it's a very challenging profession that we get into. And what I've realized over the years is that if you're not right internally with yourself, holding space for others only depletes you more. And so I didn't know how to be a great therapist in the sense of how do I take care of myself? So once I learned how to do that, I think that's what made me decide to go back to work was saying, okay, life is so hard and I don't know if I could. And also with with me, I have to be readily available to my children. So I can't actually go to work, which has been another challenge when you have medically complex or fragile children. It changes your life on every level. I decided, one, I needed more for myself. I just knew it. Like, 
once I started to feel that alleviation of the postpartum depression and anxiety start to dissipate, it changed. All of a sudden, it was this moment of, I want to go to work. I So it wasn't a conscious decision. I think it was the alleviation of, like if I imagine my cup is full, which it was, that alleviation provided more space for something else to enter. And it was, I love working. I've always loved working. I, I love my profession. I love what I do. It was, I need this. So it was it was tapping into self-care, right? Like intentional self-care. What do I need? And that was it. Like I needed something for myself. I wanted to talk to adults again. I wanted to um, practice my craft. And it's interesting, but in this moment, I, I realized my population and that was working with the postpartum experience. And I think a lot of what we experience helps shape what what we're supposed to do, right? Like I know I'm supposed to do something and now that's where it's at. The experience itself has been the toughest professional decision of my life because currently I only get, and I do say only, nine hours a week of total kid free time. So I'm utilizing those nine hours to learn how to be an entrepreneur, to learn how to do something that I never set out to do. It wasn't a dream of mine. I am loving it. It's so difficult, but challenging in, in many ways. It's balance. I think it's just learning how to say, utilize those nine hours. And then when I go to sleep, I give myself about like an hour or two. But also learning how to say I'm done. Like I just don't have any more in me. Just knowing my limitations and saying, I can't do this or I can do this. And then just having patience with myself, which, all right, I need to check in with myself. I need to stay mindful. I need to take a break. I need to walk away and ask myself, what do you need in this moment to feel better? What do you need in this moment to regulate yourself? What do you need in this moment to be the version of yourself that you want to be? Because I think a lot of us, don't ask ourselves that throughout the day and cue the end of the night guilt, right? Like I should have done this differently. I should have. That's what I've learned so far with my experiences is just taking a breath and saying, what do you need? Because I've never been used to, I'm not used to it. I'm not used to asking myself. I am over there looking at everybody else's needs and then what do they need? How do I help them? How? But if we don't know how to check in with ourselves and say, are we even able to help someone? What's the repercussions of that? Well, for me, it's yelling at my kids when they don't deserve it. And the list goes on with other areas of your life. And I think that goes back into that mindfulness of where are you at in the present moment? Yeah. It sounds like connecting with yourself, being really mindful. Mm -hmm. Those are the things that help you reset. Yes. And there's so many opportunities as a parent to reset throughout the day. You can restart over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Infinity. Yes. Right? <laughs> yeah. Always an opportunity to restart, redo. Yeah. And that's, I think that's power in itself to know that you can do that. And once you realize you have power in it, it almost becomes addicting. Like, oh, I can do this. I can reset. Watch me. Watch, watch mm -hmm. me uh, swim in my power right now and show you what I have. Like, it's interesting. Yes. That's one of the things I love about mindfulness is it's always accessible mm -hmm. to you. And you're like, why isn't everyone doing this all the time? Like yeah. I feel so much better mm -hmm. when I'm able to really pause, breathe deeply, connect with myself and regulate. And it's always there. Yes. It's an amazing, amazing tool. Yes. 
What else has been helpful for you in your journey? Only allowing people who can support you in the way that you can receive it. And what I mean more is just because you have a, an amazing support system as I do, it doesn't mean everyone in that support system can be there for you in the ways that you need them to be. So understanding who you can go to for certain things, to talk about certain topics, to lean on. Someone might just be that friend that comes over and hangs out with you. Someone might be that one that you get in deep conversations with. I have learned over the years that not everyone can encompass the same abilities and what I talk about tends to be heavy a lot. Like this is never ending for us. And sometimes I feel like that's why the isolation kicked in because how I describe my experience with other moms is where their story stops as in, let's talk about how much, how exhausted we are. What are we eating? What are we feeding them? You know, this, that it's like the, the collective mom stuff that most of us can relate to. Where these conversations stop and their stories stop, mine keeps going because I'm like, but, but how about your medical stuff with your kids and how, you know, like you want to relate to other moms like that and more times than not, you're not going to have that. You have to really know who you can lean on in those times. And I even having a list, like, cause when you feel dysregulated emotionally, you start to call text, like I need something right now. And Having a list saying like, these are the people that can talk to you about this. This is who, this is who can hold space for you. This is someone who just listens, right? <laughs> Knowing how to gain support outside of your immediate support system. Like I have joined Facebook support groups that are amazing. They make me feel like you don't feel alone in it. Like every time you're feeling down, you go on there and you're just like, oh, they're going through it too. They're going through it too. Knowing what resources you have that are outside of that main support group, because you also don't want to tarnish it. You know, it's not, it's not their fault, right? What you're going through and you don't want to say like, well, they're not my friend anymore. And I have said that, like, you know what? I, I thought we were friends, but I guess not. And then I had to take a step back and go, okay, no, that's not what it is. It's that this is really heavy. It's different. And I need to know how to get support outside of that main support group. And whether it's professionally or a support group, finding my my other, you know, my tribe as another parents who are dealing with the same thing or something similar. Tell me about your children's first birthdays. They were big, <laughs> both really big. We did it big. Um, I would say though, my daughter's was more joyous for me because I had already started to feel the alleviation of the very big feelings. And I was already kind of moving into a more content place, a happier place, a more accepting space. Um, but tons of family. My daughter, she's such a joy and she's easy. I don't, I know it's, she's just easy, you know, <laughs> easy babies just tend to bring a little bit more joy out of you in those first years. But my son, he's different. He's not easy. And he's, I don't even think he wanted to be there, you know? And I'm like, I just threw you this massive party and I'm stressed out. And you're like, why did I even do this, right? The days were really fun and I love the pictures and the memories, but that one I had to push myself through. I really appreciate you sharing, Liana, the ups and downs that of healing 
Mm -hmm. that it really isn't linear and kind of sharing that being sometimes in a place of contentment and and feeling further along in healing and then sometimes feeling set back or Mm -hmm. sometimes feeling defeated, sometimes really feeling that heartbreak more times than others. And that is such a true picture of what it's like to go through healing and to go through acceptance. So I really appreciate that kind of honest picture of the ups and downs. I don't always want to feel this way, but I am taking my time and reminding myself again, it's not linear and there's no time limit, right? It's also, I have this, it's not like my own theory. It's what I've heard, but I I definitely embrace it that I think postpartum experience is for the rest of your life. I do. And I think as long as you have children, you are maneuvering through the postpartum experience. And I know different things are going to come up for a lot of us. And I wish someone would would have told me that. I do. That this could happen and you're never going to be the same. It's not a bad thing. It's just to be more aware of how we can feel triggered even by our kids turning a certain age and we experience something traumatic at their age and then boom, we're right back in it. Like, why wasn't I told any of this? Why was it why didn't any of my OB say, hey, postpartum's coming. <laughs> you might want to get prepared. That would have been nice. What words of encouragement or wisdom do you have for moms who are in it right now? <sighs> There's so much. Um, you are more capable than you know. And I don't mean that by action. I don't mean you're more capable as in you can do because I think all of us can do, Right. We have to even define that line of being a human being and then being a human doer. You are fully capable, but what I don't think people speak on more is that you're also capable of saying, I've had enough. I need a break. I am capable of um, advocating for myself. There is so much more to motherhood than just its name. You're not just a mother. You are becoming this protector. You're becoming a role model. You are becoming the, the biggest multitasker of your life. There's there's so many roles that are, and hats you're going to wear and roles you're going to assume. And on those days where you feel like you can't do it, I think there's more power in saying, I've had enough. I can't do it. I need a break. I need this. This is what I need. And I, I think that is the most important lesson that I've learned through all of it is that I know I'm a capable person. No one needs to tell me that you're a capable person, but are you capable of the, the hard things, the contradicting things? Like, are you able to say, I'm not okay today. And I think a lot of us in our Western culture, right? It's all about the hustle. It's all about the, you know, you got this, keep moving. That's such BS. Like in motherhood, you do that, you're going to run yourself into the ground and your children watch every single move you make. They listen to everything you say. So you are quite literally setting up their life and showing them what it looks like to take care of yourself or to not take care of yourself. And that's your capability. You are capable of saying, I have limits and my limits are valid And I'm not less of a mother because I have them. I'm actually more of a mother to say, I can't be the best version of me if I don't take care of myself. So this is me setting a boundary with 
myself, not even the people around you and saying, this is what I'm capable of today. It doesn't mean it's the rest of your life. You don't define yourself by what you do. You define yourself on what you know about yourself and what you utilize and how you can pick up on your strengths and acknowledge your weaknesses because we all have them. And on your weaknesses, you either say, I'm going to get better at that or no, I'm good. I just need help. I need help. And just knowing who you can lean on. We were never meant to do this alone, yet our culture really promotes that you can do it by yourself. And it is awful. I think it's so toxic. And it's like, no one's capable of doing it all. No one. Um, The last thing is you are enough. Everything you're doing, you are enough. And you can embrace that and say, yes, this is what I can offer and not compare yourself and more importantly, not judge yourself. There might be an opportunity to enjoy this, <laughs> these hard moments, right? Cause I'm in, I'm in the thick of it. I know it'll probably even out and then get right back into it. So that's what I would say. Where can people find you to connect? So I, you can find me on uh, my website, which is lianahuseman.com um, email lianahuseman at gmail.com and my Instagram, which I've taken a break from for the last two weeks, but I'll be right back on it. And it is, the handle is called meet me in postpartum. Thank you so much for, for sharing a little bit about your story, Liana, and, and joining me on the podcast. Thank you. It was, it's always a nice release. And I just hope that if anyone out there is listening, there is so much support and help and you just got to find the courage to reach out. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you loved this episode, please share it with a friend or review it and subscribe to the podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and information about any resources we mentioned in this episode. Thank you for listening.